Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 22, Nandarian. Well, hello and welcome to Trollodon Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and we are getting close to wrapping up the last few episodes here of second season of this podcast. So hopefully you've been following along and enjoying it. If you haven't, thanks for checking it out for the first time. If you're new, I should say. And if you haven't uh, given it a chance yet, check out the earlier episodes. See kind of what we're leading up to, because some of this will be building into what we're talking about in these episodes today and in previous episodes learning about the lineage of the gods and kind of where they came from and where those guys came from and and so on and so forth. And with all these podcasts, I'm not trying to be super specific as far as giving you a very great girth of information that you want to take, you know, sit there and take hours and hours to digest. You know, truth be told, there is a whole lot of stuff I could sit down and share because there's a lot of information here we can get into. But I'm going with the thumbnail approach, just giving you an introduction to who they are, what they're about, where they fit into the overall scheme of things cosmically and then, of course, on Trollodon in general, and then I, sometimes I'll let you know if they're not going to be, we're not going to be getting to things that are uh, more sensitive to story, or especially, you know, some stories, you now like the Triumph of the Wizard King just recently came out, I don't want to necessarily share things that might kind of take away from or spoil the news for that book if you haven't read it yet, so I'm going to be kind of withholding some elements uh, wisely, so I think from that, or if there's some things in future stories I have planned that I don't want them to be spoiled before they come out. I'm not going to mention them in this episode, if you can understand that and appreciate that. But everything else I can share, I will be sharing, and I have been sharing. Last episode, we talked about Casilla, who was the very first uh, child or goddess or god, whatever you want to say, of the second generation of gods. And now we're going to talk with about the second. And again, we're going from the birth order here, starting with the oldest and going to the youngest, obviously, in the progression. And we're not, obviously, if you're doing the math, you're kind of looking at how things are flowing here. We're not obviously going to get to the end of all the gods by by the time we get to the end of second season here. So we'll probably have to carry that over into a third season and kind of expand more on who's remaining and figure and flesh that out in general. But today, like I said, we're talking about Indarian. He is the son of Ganatar and Othon, the brother to Casilla, the cousin to Perloza and Remolas and Shiril, and one of the gray gods. So you have kind of this unique, not really a dichotomy, just a little bit divergence of opinion uh, gathering or council-wise, whereas his sister Casilla joined her parents with being part of the light gods, and Darian is basically one of the gray gods. And as such, he is not necessarily, he's probably, I guess I can take, take that back, he is probably one of the more engaged of the gray gods in general. Next to him and Perloza are probably more the active ones on the world and in the, the cosmic level, shall we say. But he is not necessarily on the, the level of, let's say, of Cuthon or Gerthgal or, or a Ganatar who are more actively involved in aspects of Trollodon in general or cosmic matters overall. And he is known primarily as the god of air, birds, the sky, and weather. He has, unlike his sister, taken on the cosmic element of air. And because of that, that's kind of infused him and informed him in his certain ways and opinions in life and such to certain degrees, just like it did with all the gods when they incorporated and became 
kind of an element or embodiment of their particular cosmic element or cosmic elements in some cases where they merge together with those. But he has a, a definite affinity for birds, sky, and weather, and as such you can see where he might be a big draw for a lot of people on Trollodrin in general, especially if you are in the naval industry or just like having good weather for your crops, if you like having uh, favorable air, you like breathing air and things like that. Um, he is definitely seen as someone who you would appease, like I said. So he's, he has this unique ability to bridge the gap between the very rural with the farmers and stuff, but also with the very commercial and mercantile, like the sailors and merchants and traders and things like that. And even just in a larger civic sense and larger civilization uh, groups and, and gatherings, because he is more seen as, like I said, weather and favorable things. So, I mean, that's kind of a universal thing over all the overall the population, but he's not really necessarily someone you you see a lot of dedication to in the more civilized and, I guess, industrial or, uh, or politically in, in astute levels of society. He's, he's, again, he's kind of more stuck on the farming side, the rural side, and also more the naval side, seacoast communities, things of that nature. Although he's not really seen as a god of, of water, that's Perloza. Uh, but he is definitely you know, involved in the other elements that are kind of important for people's life, rain and weather and all that kind of good stuff. His realm is called Avion, and there he has a kind of a, an airy, ha, no pun intended, uh, place where he hangs out and lives and has all his followers go there. Obviously, birds and things are very key element, wind creatures and such. He has, a, like I said, an affinity for. And some people say he's credited with the creation of all birds that's what his religion would like you to think, but obviously if you just were going back in time and realize that birds existed before he did, if you read the Theogono or even the Cosma, you'll understand that uh, he really didn't uh, create the birds. He just had a strong guide in bringing them to the planet, and he has a definite interest in propagating them and keeping them involved in the, the planet and, and so on and so forth. But he's not really one who who made the birds. That's you know That's the religious line they kind of put out there to kind of make him seem more important. And he's also, like I said, he's part of the Grey Gods. He, like, he doesn't really have a leadership position, but he's on the board, so to speak, and he does have input and sway, and it shares a lot of their philosophy and what they want to do. And again, if you don't know who the Grey Gods, the Dark Gods, and the Light Gods are as far as their philosophical leanings go, do go to the website, chadcorry.com, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E.com, and check on the Trollodon world page, and on there you'll see a link to the Pantheon, and you'll be have an opportunity to have information about who the Pantheon is, explained a little bit more, but in particular explaining their philosophical approach to things, and that kind of determines what they do in general on Trollodon, and a little bit on the cosmic level as well. Some of his titles include Lord of the Winds, Stormlord, Guider of the Clouds, King of Birds, Father Sky. Obviously, definitely an avian uh, influence there. And just like I said previously with Casilla, he is a second-generation deity, which means he is 14 feet tall, and he's fair-skinned, he has short white hair, and he has yellow eyes. Big difference with him is he has kind of hawk-like wings, taking after his mother, who also a uh, thon, who has wings, but hers are dove-based. And those wings came about through his acceptance of the element of air and a few other things he incorporated into his person at a certain point in time, generating his new appearance and his current persona in the Pantheon. 
Um, typically, he wears normal clothes, I guess, quote-unquote, normal for a god. But if he goes into war, he usually favors a spear or a sword. He likes to have a special helmet that he has that looks like a screaming uh, bird head. His kind of face fits through the mouth there, showing through it. He has kind of what we might expect, to, maybe like a combination of Roman or Hoplite-type armor for what he wears. That gives you an idea of kind of how he's portrayed. He keeps his hair short for the most part, and he's usually clean-shaven. And like all second-generation deities, he looks younger than the older deities. Not that they're ancient or anything like that, but if you wanted to use a comparison, you could probably say if you want to use human years, some of the the first generation probably would be within the 40 to 50 year range that they would appear to be, you know, humanly speaking, whereas the second generation would probably be in their early to mid 20s, maybe late 20s, something like that in general. Again, kind of youthful and young as you would expect from from a, a, the children of the gods, you know, being younger to begin with, and that the deities themselves don't really age in the traditional sense that, you know, human beings understand it. But that's giving you kind of an understanding of how they look and appear in general. Um, generally speaking, though, like I said, his his religion is, is kind of split. I mean, there are people that worship him for the air, people that worship him for birds, people that worship him for weather and things. So, there's different sects in his religion. There's different organizational thought processes and doctrines and things that govern certain flavors of their belief system. And those kind of hold sway in different elements of the of the planet and different sections of, you know, whether they're Northlands or Southerlands, Westlands or whatever. They are, you know, geared around that certain persuasion. Uh, but generally speaking, in a universal sense, they incorporate all of his aspects into one universal godhead that they kind of bow to and that would be the you know the birds the weather the wind air all of that and that's what he's more most widely known for in most circles and again he like his sister like a lot of the other gods the great gods in particular he's just not necessarily a, a popular god in the sense that you know he's someone everyone's going to go to i mean it depends on your vocation obviously if you're a sailor or a merchant or a farmer or something you probably would have a a strong desire to want to curry his favor or at least stay in his good graces. But um, if you're generally someone who lives in the city or if you're someone involved in a more different vocational pursuit, political or otherwise, you're maybe not necessarily going to be focused so much on someone that's in charge of birds in the air and weather. I mean, that's that's nice, but if it's bad weather, you got a house, right? You go inside and you got a roof. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily something you want to give first thought to. Um, again, that like most great gods so you might find some shrines in some cities and things like that maybe larger greater cities you might find an actual temple where they kind of hang out and, and and have a proper place to call their own but in general he's not necessarily seen in large gatherings of, of religious context i should say like temples and things outside of shrines you know in more rural communities and things like that now, obviously there'll be shrines maybe by the the coasts or naval uh, communities or trading centers or trading cities, excuse me. But that's generally about it. He's not, like I said, someone that most people are going to hang their afterlife on in general just because they want to. There's usually a reason why tied to it, vocational or otherwise, like I said. And his symbol is called the Thunderbird. And it's a stylized rendering of a large avian done in a spread eagle format. And it's grasping a lightning bolt at its feet. Uh, the bird portion is often portrayed as black or brown on banners or other adornments, with the background for such displays being a sky blue. 
Uh, the lightning bolt on all occasions is portrayed as white, and priests wear pendants of the thunderbird about their neck, crafted from a variety of materials, chief among them being silver, gold, brass, and lapis lazuli. Uh, these, again, of course, are attached to a leather strap, cord, or metal chain, but again, these, this all varies based upon the material components of what needed to be made to make it and if they had the ability to purchase it and what they might believe as their sect in the faith and, and things like that. But you get the general idea. I've been kind of saying that for all the all the episodes in general, but I just wanted to kind of reiterate every once in a while for those that might not have the luxury of previously listening to the previous episodes. But generally speaking, on the cosmic level, he's not not really seen as an enemy to anyone. He's kind of just kind of just there. I mean, he's being a, the child of Ganatar kind of helps him out. The son of Ganatar, obviously, Ganatar considered to be the king of king of the gods, quote unquote. Um, kind of gives him some benefit of the doubt for most things. People just kind of leave him alone, and he's not really one to get his beak, shall we say, involved in other people's business. He kind of keeps to his own. He focuses on what's important to him and doesn't really deviate too much from that, and most often than not being a great guy, he doesn't really deviate into other people's business or try and cause any hassles or headaches or anything with people, so he just kind of stays out of everyone's way, and people kind of have a favorable opinion of him, so they don't really have any issue with him, so he's kind of not not the vanilla of the gods, shall we say, but he's just kind of there. He just, he is what he is, and people just kind of accept him and just leave him alone. He leaves them alone, and people are happy with that, so again, nothing super exciting <laughs> to pass on, about him in general. Uh, a lot, like I said, a lot of the great gods, you'll probably find that's kind of the case. And that's probably because it ties into their philosophy, that they kind of have a non-interventionist kind of mindset in most cases for a lot of things and kind of just keep things to themselves. There there are some more things that I could definitely share about him, and I would like to, but again, some of the stuff that I would be sharing would be spoiling things that are especially going to be appearing in Triumph of the Wizard King, and which just came out a short while ago at least the recording of this podcast, and I just, I don't want to share, you know, share things that are going to spoil things for people, and I don't want to put things out there for other stuff I have planned or that's in the works, and, you know, do things preemptively that way. I'd rather have it come out and be more fun as people get into it and experience it firsthand that way. So that being said, we're going to wrap up this episode again a little bit early, but again, hopefully sharing some information that you can use and get a better picture of who Andarian is and what he's about and stuff like that. But again, if you have any other questions, concerns, input, or comments you want to pass on to me, do feel free to share that with me. You can send it to lore, that's L-O-R-E, at chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next episode. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.